Greetings and welcome to Broken Boxes Podcast. In this episode, we hear from New York-based narrative artist, producer, and curator Evan Starling Davis, who excavates the everyday stories pushed beneath the margins of our society. Navigating his lens as a black and queer digital age griot, Evan's work breaches the hard facts, personal truths, and surreal realities we bury ourselves in. A doctoral candidate of literacy education at Syracuse University with a focus in extended reality or XR technology, Evan researches and facilitates art-based literacy and social justice projects and interventions for Black communities in the U.S. His artistic practice is situated within art, immersion, mindfulness, pedagogy, and experiential technology, and is heavily guided by the Black speculative arts movement, including Afro-surrealism and Afrofuturism specifically, to create new pathways for Black imagination and media literacy to flourish. Evan combines motivational design, multimedia arts, and immersive technology in striking new ways. Exploring immersive technologies as tools of healing, such as virtual, augmented, and mixed reality, his most recent project, Hidden Fragments Breathing, models the radical potential immersive art exposure has to transform literacy in Black communities across the Rust Belt. As a curator with meticulous attention to detail, Evan has managed public humanities projects and community-based art experiences from conception to completion. His interdisciplinary projects have been featured in art galleries, museums, and theaters internationally. For this broadcast, we hear Evan Starling Davis in conversation with Chinupahanska Luger, who is a recurring host with Broken Boxes and who often creates from a space of speculative fiction from the perspective of an indigenous person of the Great Plains of North America. Special thanks to Nick West for the introductions to Evan Starling Davis and for organizing a studio on campus to record this conversation and for such a warm welcome to our family. So now we'll just jump right into the conversation. Thank you again for joining us. All right. (laughs) Well, um, I'm so grateful today to have uh, the opportunity to interview, to have a conversation with Evan Starling Davis. Thank you for having me. Uh, I really appreciate the hospitality from Colgate, uh, but also from you as well. Yeah, I'm here um, with Ginger Lynn Donnell in the Broken Boxes podcast. And we have a few intersections that I'm kind of excited to engage with and to talk about because it's not only um, uh, an opportunity for me to engage with folks outside of my kind of cultural background, um, but also something that I'm really fascinated in, which which is um, kind of futurism and the engagement of cultures uh, potentially having interactions in future spaces and imagined spaces, you know, um, just as a way to kind of like recontextualize or um, transform the artifacts of Western anthropology and philosophy and all those, all those sorts of things. Um, whether we get into that or not, I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm super excited about uh, just the opportunities we have to have these conversations and 
grateful to once again Colgate for um, Colgate University uh, hosting this uh, podcast session. It's super strange. Uh, I know we're so far away from each other right now on this table. Yeah, the mic is like right here. <laughs> and I and I want to describe the incredibleness of that. Um, it's as if we're playing chess with robotic arms, um, but the table has been cleaned entirely. That's a really good analogy. I think that's going to picturize it for everybody out there in the world. <laughs> totally. We have robot arms holding mics up to our mouths. Um, but uh, with that being said, I'm Chinupa Hanskal Luger, uh, Mandan Hidatsa Rikara. Uh, I'm a visual artist, work in a lot of different mediums. Um, and a periodic uh, interviewer for Broken Boxes podcast. And I wanted to open up this opportunity for you to um, introduce yourself and um, I guess open up the conversation between you and I and so we kind of know each other a little bit more. Um, let me, maybe I'll go first. I'm Mandan Hidatsa Narikara. I'm from um, the three affiliated tribes in North Dakota, uh, Upper Missouri River people. And I have a background in ceramics and mixed media, um, installation work, film, video, um, sound, <laughs> cut paper. <laughs> We're so similar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a little bit of who I am and where I'm coming from. Oh, and I'm Evan. Um, currently, I am a working artist um, in a lot of different mediums, but my background is in film and theater. I went to SUNY Purchase, graduated in 2013, took a long time off, and now I'm at Syracuse University. Got a museum studies background, and I'm in school for literacy education right now, looking at how art exposure actually informs literacy practices and motivations. Hmm. Um, me and my partner, we make films together avidly. Um, I do a lot of youth community work in the city of Syracuse. Um, I moved back specifically there. I'm, my family's from there. I'm from there by way of LA. Um, I've never really had a home home, but I have places that I call home because of family. Um, but consider myself kind of like a nomad and identify as like a mad nomad, mm. digital greed, bad boy scavenger poet type <laughs> of energy. So, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I could see how our imagined future cultures could interact with one another for sure. <laughs> Same. There's probably information that my future people need to learn from your future people and vice versa. I love that. Uh, and just, you know, our people are, we have such a interesting and entangled history just like in the America, just like in general. So... I'm always looking for opportunities on like how do we reconnect, align, and like really think about a future in a very equitable tender space. Mm, yeah. What um, do you do? I mean, I'm, I was under the understanding that you do a lot of futurist work, but what is your kind of um, trajectory of practices that you do? And um... yeah, you know, I'm a learner. I'm a I'm an avid learner. Um, I'm always trying to pivot and like readapt to different frameworks that might better see the direction of my work if that makes like any sense i would say right now um, i'm aligning myself with afro surrealism and the black splacket of arts uh, just in general but 
because I'm working within those modes and because I'm thinking about things like accessibility and technology, like we were talking about earlier, I think by default, I am leaning into Afrofuturism, mm. um, especially for my love of like science fiction and like fantasy and like just like the literary like genius that have come from out of the minds who call themselves Afrofuturists as well. Right, right. Yeah, I guess I don't really even know the... Um proper definition of futurism, you know, per personally, I, I've been, and maybe that's something that's kind of like washed over my practice. Um, and then I see correlations and associations, and it's mostly just through my love also of science fiction and, um, and fantasy. And it seems like a space in which um, the ecstatic kind of uh, imaginative, explorative space can be a beacon into mm. a distant future, you know, um, especially like presently with um, environmental collapse and all of these kind of like social and cultural atrocities that are taking place. It feels like we could use something to grow towards, you know? Yeah, I would agree. Um, I don't want to get cynical. <laughs> the Afro-Cerealist in me would say that like the future's already here. And I think if we, I can speak from the black American ex, like experience, it's just like, we've always been trying to reimagine futures because we've always been in a place where like our futures were taken away from us or uh, there's been so much harm and violence done that has made us have to like pivot, you know? So I, I think culturally for me, it's just like that beacon of hope is like the speculation of like what could be. And I'm always looking at it as speculation. And I don't know the definition of futurism either. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. know where it comes from. Um, I know we were excluded from it, which is why we have these, these uh, siloed frameworks of Afro and indigenous like futures. Um, and I know that it's time travel for me. Um, that's how I'm really starting to look at Afrofuturism as like time travel. One of my favorite like Afrofuturists, one of the founding fathers, like Sun Ra, mm. he has this beautiful um, uh, film. If anyone hasn't seen it, go see A Spacious Place or what is it? I can't. We're going to have to edit that out, y'all. <laughs> Space is a place. There Space you go. is a place. Space is a place. And he says something. It's just like we work on the other side of time like at the end of it. And I love that so much because I'm really looking at my practice as something that connects future, past, and like present. Um, how do I borrow from? How do I excavate? How do I like go into the fractures like we were talking about, like in the depths of what past is to inform who I am today and really thinking about like the work and why I'm making it and who it's for. So like 50 years from now, it's not like another cycle, something that's repetitive. I'm intentionally thinking about like, how does my voice apply for tomorrow? And how does tomorrow's voice inform mine? And the same thing with the past. Yeah, I like that time travel. That's a big part, I think, of some of the ideas that welled up in me. I mean, it was, I didn't want to make science fiction. I wanted to imagine without all of the hiccups of our present, you right. know? I'm like, I as a as a native artist um, in primarily Western European spaces, siloed spaces of exhibition and stuff, man, my work enters into those spaces not just in a crate, but wrapped and wrapped 
and wrapped in so many other things just to provide a little bit of context. And um, that's always so like challenging. I'm like, I, if I build this without having to wrap it and wrap it and wrap it and then unwrap it once it enters into the space, but are able just to imagine, you know, um, where and how will the ideas that I'm developing grow without the limitations of the observation, you know, the gaze, you know. Um, right. And that's the whole thing. It's just like, how do we make work out? How do we make imaginative work outside of like those limitations when we have so many limitations today? So like really looking at like Afrofuturism, indigenous futurisms, um, just looking at these frameworks as like alternative tools to really activate alternative ways uh, to step away from like the problems and like troubles of what the Western world and colonization and like what we've actually done to the land and like to the people who occupy the land. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's like the first challenge isn't what can I imagine, but what can I not imagine, you know? Right. I like that. <laughs> what can I not imagine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like why did these things keep popping into my head as I'm trying to describe something new? I'm also carrying all of this other stuff and I'm like, that's not mine. You know, why am I carrying that? That's not mine. I want to put it down, you know. Um, but no, that's that's really cool. That's really um, that helps me kind of better understand even uh, where our our futures could uh, intersect as well as that future imagined intersection also is informed by past intersections, you know, between um, African cultures and people, indigenous cultures, um, our engagement with uh, Western culture and colonization, our um, entanglement with uh, global economy, you know, um, science. All of it's connected. <laughs> I, I know, that's wild. I was just in the conversation the other day. So for me, like, it's uh, science and technology, like, really meeting the culture, like, right, and just really expanding the way of, like, how we define technology. And I think you were getting about it in one of your artist talks today, um, where it's more than just, like, the cell phone in our pocket or the computer that we're typing on, like, today. Like, we have ancient technologies. We have not too distant uh, technologies, everything from, like, agriculture to architecture to ways of breathing that activate different technological things like within our body. And even with that, it's just like our bodies as vessels for technology. So like, what does that mean for a working artist to be a working piece of technology, working with external technology, like the balance between internal, like external, and what's the bridge between there as well? That's interesting. It's like we are, um, once again, like thinking of even going back to this idea of time travel, it's as if we are um, ourselves of uh, uh, an interface. Right. Like, at, just because I am, I am an interface for everybody else to transcribe knowledge from our ancestral background to the present and perceive it into the future. So my just being is like, pretty sweet piece of tech yeah we have the the genetic memory um that makeup that um you were talking about like um working with clay for the first time i really love that story you should tell it again on the podcast but it was just like you've been so far removed from the practice because of external things that have removed generations from the practice right 
But the minute you started to pick back up and work with it, it was just like your technology was like reactivated. Yeah. Even if you didn't experience that before, it's just like you have it somewhere as like a cultural like imprint like in us to always go back in and to tap. And the way I look at futurist frameworks, it's just like, that's what I mean by like time travel. It's just like, it's already in me. It's just a matter of like, how do I get to it? Huh. And I'm still trying to, if I'm honest and transparent, figure out what are the ways that I get to it. Um, Christina Sharp, uh, a, a, a beautiful theorist, and she talks about something called wake work, which is a very like spiritual, like ritualistic practice um, that's looking at how we transform and terraform like the pain of like the transatlantic like slave trade. Um, and where do we manipulate and where do we kind of like transmute the energies that are attached to us just from that migration and like that movement and what does that mean for like our own individual like practices so i'm looking at like that kind of as like a large framework but like really looking at the things that i know feed my spirit mm -hmm. and i know play was something that was brought up to me um, a lot within like the last two years and these systems will have you thinking that we're no longer allowed to like play in the world, especially when you hit a certain age and like how important and critical play is just to like forming a human being, forming an artist, uh, really exploring and having like that inquisitive like eye about you. Um, and I'm looking at just like those type of avenues or things that might seem nominal or like really trivial, but like things that really bring me back to like a, an inner child so I feel like that's when I was at like my fullest, you know, because every year something chips more away at it. So I'm trying to figure out like what's at the bottom of the chipping. Yeah. And there's like a mental, there's a mental block, I think, in a lot of um, cultures that have been subjugated or ignored um, where it is, everything is dire, you know? Um, like we within indigenous communities, we love to celebrate survivance and just the language of survivance seems desperate, you know, but simultaneously, I also love it. Like, I'm like, yeah, but that feels honest. You know, it, it, it feels as though, yes, it is dire, but if you can laugh in that situation, that kind of activates uh, um, a resilience that privilege has undermined in a lot of people right you know um i'm gonna hold on i'm gonna move my mic a little bit move because, the robot around <laughs> yeah it's like blocking you in one of my eyes <laughs> that's what i was saying earlier yeah yeah and i'm i'm like it's, it's like weird. night to e4 <laughs> <laughs> uh but i like that i like that that direness too i would say like i relate to that it's just like my family always says like nothing's cooking unless it's under pressure mm. you know and I really love that saying from like my grandmother because it's just reminding me that like you're gonna get to the meatiness of something like the longer it's cooking and like the more that you keep adding to it whether it's heat or whether it's t like care or like tenderness but like it's the actual pressure and the recipe, if you will, that like really gets you to like a, a beautiful project. Yeah, yeah. And the longer it's in there, the more you don't know where one thing ends and the next thing begins. You but know? it's really good to eat at the end of the day. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. We um, once again there, I, I said it. Sorry, sorry, Ginger. 
that's interesting. That's my <laughs> that's my crutch word. Um, no, um, you mentioned earlier about this uh, clay and the memory in the body, and I'm also kind of exploring and thinking about um, how much of that knowledge was actually stored in my body, and how much of that knowledge was actually stored in the clay. You know, mm-hmm. like. How much of our um, experiences as cultural diversity, complexity, variation, how much of that culture was developed in to be in right relationship with the land? And in doing so, how have we allowed some of our own cultural knowledge and memory and existence? Um, like, how did we outsource the, the, the memory? You know, how did we create a, a backup system? that exists within the landscape itself and the environment. And then being able to acknowledge that, then suddenly you have this resource of um, what once seems lost actually in abundance in the uh, environments that surround you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about that. It is safe to say that, like, is that the functionality of storytelling or of stories? I, I suppose so. I mean, I think it's a really great way to um, place them. Maybe the functionality of storytelling is to provide the capacity to download that information. Hmm. You know, like I like that. Yeah. Once you've once you've offset it, it's like how I know it's there. How do I receive it? You know, and yeah. a good story, a good oral tradition, you know, involves telling that story from generation to generation. And there's agency in that, you know? Yeah. And I think that is something that we both can, like, speak to just coming from very uh, oral tradition, like, cultures themselves. It's like every lesson that I've learned in life, every step that I've, like, taken forward has always come from either something that was being explained or, like, told to me in a very story is way you know what I mean it's just like it's just like <laughs> listening to my my grandparents talk about like their lives like growing up and knowing at the end of that that tell that they're trying to give me is something that they want me to take from it it might not be the exact thing that they took from it but they're telling me so I can have my own interpretation like be in real communication with it you see how it uh, it's applicable to me and and what I might do with it like later, you know? Yeah. So I, I like that storytelling is the way to, to see what's downloaded or a way to download. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I, probably all of those things. Uh, all of those things, yeah. right? It's not one dimensional. Right. And I, and I think that's also, you know, the advantage of um, having histories that had to be hidden in certain ways also allowed us to come up with really clever ways to code things, you know? Um, and in, in like knowing, sell, sharing all of those different stories allows you a way to like decode or receive them. Um, there are a lot of points of access for um, my people, specifically Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara, um, where the genocidal devastation of smallpox and just being around European travelers coming up the, the river um, there were a lot of things that were um, not sent down from generation to generation. And so there, there is a drive to better understand us by looking into anthropological records like 
early anthropologists who came through and visited with tribes. But even reading that, it has to be read with like um, the capacity to decode the language, you know, where you're like, okay, this guy's saying torture or suffering or, you know, something like that. But then I have to understand that as um, willful sacrifice, you know, and or um, ecstatic expression of, of uh, giving of self, you know, rather than mutilation or something. You know, there's, it's, it's complicated to navigate those spaces, but um, it's done innately. And I'm wondering if it has something to do with that storytelling aspect, you know? Yeah, I mean... I think for me, I think for a lot of black Americans, like we're so far removed from like our ancestral like homes or lineages. And a lot of us, and I'm speaking from a, a place for me, I don't want to <laughs> monolith the whole thing, but like I can only go back so far. You know what I mean? So it's just like that whole decoding like conversation. I really see it as like the only way that I'm able to like connect to the past. Mm. It's it's through that like playful exploration of like things that are in chaotic limbo or things that you just you don't know if you're connected to it or not, but you know that you're connected to it just by the history of like how things were. So I'm really interested in like you know, what does it really mean to like decode, you know? Mm. Do I even have the tools to, to decode in the way that my body needs to decode? Or is it going to be an ongoing journey for the rest of my life? And yeah. I'm okay with that if the ongoing journey is in benefit for the future me or the future younger me. Yeah, and I, you know, I say decode, but the reality is um, I don't think I got all the code. I don't think any of us have some right. all the right. code. And, and that's um, almost secondary, like um, to transcribe it exactly is, um, it's almost uh, a perversion of what it actually was, you know, um, because there is information that is um, in flux, always in flux. So how does my lack of the ability to comprehend or to decode the information that I have also like the most expressive, imaginative, and potentially like um, generative aspect of culture changing from generation to generation to generation. Yeah, and everything changes. I mean, my focus right now is uh, with art and literacy, but like even if you look at language and we talk about like translating, like just language is just so much gets lost from like word to word. So I can only imagine what that is from generation to generation, to story to story, to culture to culture. But really looking at it as like, like more of a a connective tissue, mm. like if you will, it's it's only when the decode or code slash it meets my interpretation and my identity today that gives it new context and content to to transform itself and move forward. Yeah, um, which I'm really starting to like lean more into like getting towards the end of my coursework, leaning more into like my scholarship, leaning more into my art. Um, but just really looking at like, I meet the past where it is and I'm bringing my full self so we can continue the things that won't get lost later. Yeah. Or that's my intention. I don't want any, I don't, anything else doesn't need to get lost. <laughs> like stop losing the things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't need to be digging up the earth anymore trying to find things. 
That's that's interesting. I I've totally been thinking about this as well as far as um you know once again looking into the historical record, you know, looking into um the artifact of culture from generation to generation. So much of that information was interpreted anyway and interpreted from one language to another that didn't have much uh interaction. I think about that a lot just from an indigenous perspective, a lot of our tribal names that we are members of, said tribal bands, you translate that into English directly, and it's not like a tribal um, identifier. It was literally the people saying, I'm the human beings of this place, you know? Um, and I think about that in relationship to um, Western observation when they were asking, well, who are you? Who are your people? And I'm like, how sad and kind of profound it is to be like th imagining it in that position like we're the we're the human beings like i can i can imagine like extra question marks you know as not made as a statement but made as almost a, a desperate question like what do you mean who are we we're we're the human beings like right. you're the human beings i can see that we're also the human beings we're the human beings from here you know and they're like great that's who you are you yeah. know that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. It's just like we all occupy the same floating rock. And I'm like, there's nowhere else to go. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. But that's what. Yeah. So, and, and with that being said, I'm like, well, how much of imagining future spaces am I also reimagining our past? You know, if, if the anthropological gaze or the Western gaze or just the historical record um, can imagine things on that uh is it also my responsibility and my um privilege as just for being alive today to also imagine alternatives to that and how are both of them not true mm. but both of them are honest you right. know and I'm, I'm kind of fascinated with that idea of an interpretation especially as it it seems safer to do that into the future than it does to reimagine the ancestors of my past, you know? Which is a weird thing to say because our entire educational system is about reworking the past until the narrative that they want to present to us so we can like hold on to it and like like move into the future. I, I like to say reclaiming the past. I, I love reclamation. Um, I think it's like, it's what we're meant to do as artists is to reclaim things that were quote unquote like lost or taken away from us or things that we just haven't refound like yet. So it's just like I'm using these frameworks to like reclaim like reclaim that identity, you know? It's just like if if I don't have access to to that lived experience because of the lack of story or the lack of knowledge that it came from it's just like well how do I stumble across things really imagine myself like in the past like in conversation with the object or the piece of art the piece of story that I'm in, in in close like conversation with and like you know how do I reclaim it for like a different purpose hmm. um, I'm calling it like hijacking technologies like what the hip hop pioneers did with like <laughs> hacking hardware to make hip hop. So yeah. it's just like, it, it's all coming from somewhere, but it's just like the, the future tense of it is just like, 
it's really like embedded in like the present is just like we have to use the things that are available to make the future you know and that's the body that's whatever's like around that's our art that's artistic practice yeah it's the power of story well and that's that's um that triggers a whole bunch of different ideas too around um i would say my practice is totally in the same i'm I'm present. Like, <laughs> we have I, to be. Totally. I have to be here. And even presenting things in this present, um, utilizing the detritus of this present, the waste material of this present, um, through a uh, cultural lens, looks more like science fiction. I describe it as science fiction, but mm -hmm. it's really just like, um, <laughs> it's like, what would we look like right now if there wasn't uh, an effort to uh, sequester us in the past? You know what I'm saying? Like, these are, I'm just using materials I have access to presently, you know? Right. And I'm looking at technology that was deemed primitive, but just applying it to present technology. Primitive you know? technology. What is this blasphemy? <laughs> It's more advanced to what we have now because the technology of today is ruining the earth. And we had technology that wasn't ruining the earth beforehand. So it's just like, yeah. Yeah. Miss me with all. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I think it comes around, you know, it all yeah. comes around. But I, I am also fascinated in um, the share of, of culture and the influence of different groups and diverse groups on um, uh, different cultures. Like there are... There are items in um, like Mandan, Hidatsa, Lakota tribes that at some point we weren't told that that's not traditional, you know, like you don't, you can, we, we had the agency to work with n new material. And there are artifacts of that time that I think are incredible, um, artifacts that are now considered traditional, traditional pieces, you know. Um, Horse technology was one, like how a lot of the Plains tribes adapted the the horse and how that influenced and transformed cultures completely. Um, the use of steel. Um, there's a really beautiful artifact that can be found in um, this region, the the northeast, um, but it's called and it's and it's found its way across the the um, country, but it was called the Gunstock Club. And I'm not familiar with that. So it's a it's a war club and it's got like a steel point on the edge of it. But the shape of the club looks exactly like an old muzzle loader rifle. So because the muzzle loader rifle could only fire one shot and you needed ammunition to make it effective. Mm -hmm. These weapons were traded with tribes, you know, um, back and forth for hunting and all those sorts of things, but not necessarily the munition, you know. And so now this thing is just like one hell of a club. You know, right. it's like <laughs> gone from a rifle that shoots projectile into this um, club tool. And then because there wasn't enough of the actual rifles to go around, they there was a process of carving war clubs in the shape of a, of a gun stock, you know. And um, I love that. I'm like, I love these kind of like tertiary um, spaces where like these technologies kind of hybridize, you know. And I think about that a lot with. Um, early African uh, people who were subject to slavery, who sought their freedom, um, escaped through whatever means necessary, 
And then all of these cultures that developed in the Southeast um, and and Middle East. I don't know what you call that. What that region? Midwest. Appalachia. Well, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Um, it's, a but, big, it's a big country. <laughs> it's a big country. But there were so many little um, communities and groups of people who found solace with one, within one another and began to share like seeds and practices that were more akin to an indigenous lifestyle that was far different than the Western one that had like either reaped an entire people from one population or displaced another from from another, you know. And in that space, a third entity kind of developed, and it's the, like, hybridization of these cultures, you know? Yeah, I'm so interested in in what happens when, like, different identities and cultures are, like, in, like, close, like, proximity to each other. So very fascinated with the, the hybrid, the, the, the distortion of it all, the algamation, like, of it all, like, as well. Um, really interested to hear like how you came across like indigenous like futurism and like what does it mean for that to be in conversation with Afrofuturism knowing like the timeline of things or like what might have been like borrowed and like thinking of it as like a hybrid thing because you're right it's just like our cultures have such a entwined pretty complicated but like it's not similar but like we have some things that have happened to us like as a people like as a whole um, in both respects of our culture. So it's just like, like, what does it mean knowing all of that? And like, is it the, the merger? Is it the, the future projection of like, what that like coming together is like looking like, like what's the collective future that we're all working towards? So it's not just like, we're working in Afrofuturism or we're working in indigenous futurisms, but it's not siloed anymore. Like, mm-hmm the academy or america you know what i mean like we're we're working in unison with each other yeah i'm i'm fascinated with that and i haven't had the opportunity to really dive into what that could look like and i imagine that being also a collaborative effort you Mm -hmm. know like how does one person see this space what are the external circumstances um that we both agree we've experienced and that are experiencing and would like to bypass in this future space and then um yeah i don't know it's kind of fascinating to consider um what that contribution to one another could be you know because i think there is um there are definitely similarities but there's also even in our our recent past um civil rights movements, um, the celebration of identity and the pride in that, these happen at the same timelines for um, African Americans, Native Americans. Um, so I think that there is there there is a shared history. And then there is also, I know for me, like growing up, um, I was a big fan of Thanks to my mom. She, my mom was super into uh, reggae and soul. Um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And she's this little five foot two uh, native woman from North Dakota. And um, but she brought that music into our homes when I was a kid, you know, and having that music in our home as a kid, I didn't realize that that was not our music. Mm. You know, I didn't I, d- I didn't have the um silos and the divisions in my cultural context to know that that's not just our music, you know, until I got older, until I understood, until I could like uh, 
go through the same methods of like separation and isolation because there was a correlation between rhythm and beat that um, was familiar, like just genetically familiar, you know? Um, and as I got older, I always had like a, a an affinity for um, black music. I mean, hip hop, jazz, soul, all of these sorts of things. Uh, and, you know, as contributions to our strange and varied histories in this country, I, I know for native people, a lot of native people, um, that there is a, um, I don't know what the term is, but like a, a shared history and the sound of that shared history also felt so familiar and so similar that, um, I don't know, I'm trying not to like, like it was appropriated and not appropriated simultaneously, you know, it was absolutely appropriated because we knew where it, where it came from and we actually even like dressed and emulated urban um, African-American experience on the reservations, you mm. know, but we didn't know to do that until we had access to, to like cable and television and that sort of thing. And then, um, which was relatively late, you know, like 80s, 90s before it came on to like the res all over, you know, um, but we knew it was African music. We knew it was black music. We knew it was urban music. And most of us lived in rural spaces, you know, but there was a um, there was a rhythm and a context and a soul and um, that seemed more akin and more close to our cultural practices that the um, kind of Western white pop music narrative did not ring in the same way, you know? Um, a lot of country too. We loved a lot of country, but that's also, you know. I grew up in the South. I'm, yeah. By default, I like country. It, and so. it's our, those are also our stories, you know? Um, but I, I don't know, I'm fascinated with that just as an upbringing, um, you know, I am a, I am a, a Native American person um, but I'm also a member of the 21st century, you know, 20th century. And all of the information, all of the kind of culture share that exists in popular culture is also a part of that story, you know. Um, and rather than siloing all of these things, I'm like, well, let's talk about the chimera of it. Let's talk about the like... Um, interaction of these and how bits and pieces of it are shared and then how do the how does that influence grow and inform another generation and that sort of stuff so that's my long kind of historical look at why i'm interested in um intersections of afro indigenous future spaces you know yeah. i i love that and also thinking a lot about like the intentionality and like the delicacy with it too like you mentioned uh, the conversation about, like, appropriation, which I have a lot with, like, folks because I just, like, if it's so, like, ingrained in, like, our culture, you know, in, until the 21st century, like, what's the line uh, that's situated so we don't, like, appropriate it too much where it's becoming, like, a problem, but, like, we're engaging with it in a way that's, like, fruitful, like, to, like, move forward. And I always think about, like, well, what's the issue with our histories now? It's just like, it's because they're not named, they're not like identified. 
they're quote unquote like lost. I really like this concept of lost childs, things that I write poetry about. Um, but really just looking at it as a way it's just like, it's shared history, but it doesn't become a problem when we start attributing like who's making the history, you know? Like whose mythos and creation stories are we borrowing from so we're not just writing out the new story and not saying that this came from this specific tribe and this specific people or this piece of art came from out of this way and I'm I'm naming that, I'm identifying that, I'm aligning myself like like with it, but I'm doing it in a way where I can rehack it in a way that is projecting out in collaboration to like really truly like we're gonna use imagine so much in this podcast. I'm trying to stay <laughs> away from that word, y'all. But like really truly imagine like just something that's just just more connected, you know? It's just like well, humans shouldn't operate the way that we do. Like, why are we in war still? You know? Yeah. It's just like if we're really talking about like science fiction and fantasy, it's just like a lot of those earlier stories, at least from my perspective, were all like dystopic, dystopian like like stories. Like where's the solar punk? Like yeah. where is the utopias of like what futures could be when we all like get it together, you know? Right. And like bring it together instead of like messing it all up because we have our own ambitions and our own personal like gains to like set it right for a specific type of person instead of like humankind as like a whole, you know? It's almost like that's so alien like from us, which is weird to say because it's just like, well, we're technically all alien. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's what, you know, the literary geniuses and futurism will like tell us like, you know, we already have that sense of alienation. We're all humans. We all occupy this really weird thing in the middle of the universe. And we haven't yet found anything that's out there like to say anything otherwise yet. So I'm just like, why is it so hard for us to like, to really bridge together and, and really see it in a different way or see future in a different way. Yeah. You know? This idea or this notion or this imagining of alienness is, I wonder how much of that is embedded in um, uh, Western thought and philosophy around separating ourselves from the environment. Like, I wonder if the alien story and agenda is a way for us to reckon with um, the trauma of <laughs> creating this false narrative of human beings versus the place, man versus nature, I think is how it was first expressed, you know? I'm like, that wasn't a, that wasn't a old conversation. That's a relatively new conversation. And yet we accept it. And maybe in that acceptance, there's a part of us somewhere deep and low in our brain that retaliates against this idea of separation. Um, and to deal with that, the only monster we could imagine is the alien, you know, mm. the removed from place, you know, the not from here story. And I wonder if that whole alien conversation is like um, uh, uh, some a scapegoat. Yeah, somehow to deal with that trauma, right? Like, 
that would be very interesting for me to go down a rabbit hole tonight on YouTube with. So I'm a big fan of ancient aliens, y'all. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like you were saying, um, and I'm going to keep referencing artist talks today because I saw two of them. And I'm yeah. really glad that I got a chance to, to get in on them. But like it's, uh, it's man with nature that's more – that's just uh, just more giving, you know, and it's mm -hmm. just like, like what you're saying is just like, there's so much trauma because we've removed ourselves from the the ecology of of the world. We're separating ourselves so much from the things that are like at our core. Like, oh, we're a part of the ecosystem. Like, we sh we shouldn't be uh, navigating in a way where we're like we're removing ourselves so far from it. And I think that is super traumatic. You know, I think that does scapegoat into us being aliens from the land that we occupy. Mm -hmm. And then for for our cultures, for my culture specifically, it even further keeps getting pushed because we're constantly getting removed from like land or we're migrating constantly. I think a lot about um, the great migration, like as far as like an Afrofuturistic, like really dope pinpoint for like black Americans because it was it was the movement of of people going to to northern states but they were doing it for technological reasons it's just like they were tending to the land to like make the the actual like resource and material and then it would all get filtered through these factories and then industrial like revolutions like up north mm -hmm. so it's just like even in that sense we're like we're becoming alien from the things that we had just spent like centuries like doing you know, and before that, like we had other ways of like navigating that we're just so just not not there with anymore. Yeah. I, th I think about like folks that talk about these spaceships that, you know, take us off into distant worlds. And like, what does that mean? What does that look like now? Like, how do we go to a distant world now? You know, yeah. what is the distant world now? Well, and if you are. If you can connect yourself back into the natural systems and being a part of of the environment, an extension of the land, you are therefore an extension of the planet. And if you can imagine that and cultivate that as a technology, how could you not also cultivate yourself as a as a member of the uh, solar system, the galaxy, the universe? You know, and then suddenly that far distant place that everyone's encouraged to travel to is right here it's right here there's no longer alien right it's just base <laughs> yeah 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 the people of that place mm -hmm. the people <laughs> of that place um uh well i'm i'm very excited to think about this i i would love to actually ask um you about uh have you ever had any kind of consideration of engaging with um futurism or indigenous futurism or do you feel the need to kind of cultivate because um, these are these are the questions I ask myself all the time so having somebody else to ask is is useful but I is, feel that <laughs> yeah is it useful to like imagine where our cultural uh, people could meet in the future or is it um, uh, more important that we better understand how we imagine ourselves in that space and have you ever considered like um, a collaboration, a conversation outside of Afrofuturism uh, or um, Afro-surrealism 
into? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, we're, we're going to take, take that answer. I don't think separated visions of the future is going to get us to an equitable future. Hmm. Um, I think it's only when we are working in our specific areas of, I hate this word, expertise hmm. or our lived experience or our cultural like relevancy and bringing that to the table with other people also navigating in a similar fashion in respects to their own like identities and ecologies and like cultures like as well and like that's where it like starts to happen so it's just like yeah i think two things can live in the same breath you know what i mean like two truths can be in the same like lifespan it's just like i could be working heavily to like heal myself and connect with my past through things that make sense because it aligns with my history and, and my genetic makeup. And I think the same, if I'm using you as an example, like that's true for you as well. And I think things like this conversation that we're having today, things with like collaborating what work, things about like, oh, what are the similarities between your folklore and my folklore? And what are the myths that that, that create your realities and that create my realities and what are the linkages, where are the things that might have like spilled off because of time or because this person married that person or moved to this place and it's it's a, it's an exploration that we need to all be on like the same uh, the same raft, you know, like mm. we're heading in the same direction so it only makes sense that we're building towards the same direction instead of trying to like go down to opposite sides of the river, you know, mm -hmm. thinking that we're going to end up at the same reservoir at the end of the day. <laughs> but I don't want that to be the case. You know, yeah. I want us all to be able to end up in a place where all of this, I want to cuss so bad, but yeah. all of this stuff is just like gone. <laughs> yeah. Cussing you know, is fine. Uh, yeah. Cussing. It's I just, Ginger said it was going to be kids on this. So I was just like, <laughs> I mean, they're probably cussing y'all. Kids can handle it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if they can handle everything America throws at us yeah. today, they can handle an F-bomb or a shit. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? It's just like, when I think about, like, what is a what does Afrofuturism, like, mean for me? Or, like, what does indigenous, or what does the future just, like, really mean to me? It's just, like, I imagine worlds where, where the land is okay. Like, we're no longer, like, killing it or like polluting it i think that's what i take a lot from a lot of indigenous futures it's just like the relationship to the land something that i've been learning a lot just with friends and peers that i'm around for like the last three years um i think about like care and like pedagogies of care like how are we actually in community with each other like as we are taking up the same environment you know i think a lot about what does it mean to no longer be violent hmm. um you gave a really beautiful analogy about like um, uh, the knife mm. and and what the knife was like meant for when it was first created. And I don't think I've ever thought about that because in my entire life, my mother and their parents like lifetimes, the knife was always meant to kill. Yeah, you know, but the or first to butcher knife. something, right? But but even that, it was still able to do that. But like the subtext of it is I'm butchering this thing so I can share it with the people that are going to eat, you know? Right. So think, and that's how one thing feeds many. Exactly. You know? So it's just like, how do we find the one things that are going to 
like feed us all. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we can do that if we're working in, in silos, but I think it's important that we have people like really in, in those, those trajectories, you know? Yeah, I agree. So. Um, well, I think thinking about all of that, um, and the lovely conversation that we had today, it makes me really excited to consider um, not just futurism, but what is your future? What what are things that you're working towards presently um, that you're willing to share with us? A whole bunch. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much I can share because it's still in the, the, the works. But um, like I said before, so I'm a, a full-time artist. My department's going to get mad that I say this, but like, you know, this whole PhD thing, it's my side hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, I love learning. I love working with the community and I love building and bridging knowledge. Um, and that's why I'm in, in school right now. So like my immediate future is trying to get this degree so I can do this outside of the walls of the academy because it's very limiting. Mm. But it's very eye-opening too to be in that space with that identity and in a space that like forces me to really think about like what my blackness is and what my culture is and like how does that actually move forward like into a future um i was talking about lou mirage's work and he talks about like the fracture and right now my immediate future is like looking at the fractures because of like the spatial rhetorics of me being in a place that might not be fully welcoming but it's just like the further i go down rabbit holes and the further i go down caves and the further I go down, like within myself, I'm always trying to like use self as like a point of reference. So like, I think my immediate future is healing. Mm. That's why I'm using Afrofuturism. That's why I'm working in surrealism. That's why I'm in conversations like these. It's just like, I'm trying to figure out how to heal, um, heal outside of the ramifications of like what the Western society has like done to me and like my genetic lineage, you know? Um, some things that I'm working on. Um, when I say like I'm a working artist, I mean I'm I'm doing a lot of different things. Oh uh, yeah. Um, so me and my partner we make films uh, together. Um, I'm in a, a, a community class right now where we're teaching high schoolers like how to actually build a film from conception to completion. Mm. Um, my own like scholarship work is looking at like extended reality is looking at technology which is why i'm even um naming myself an afrofuturist it's looking at virtual the augmented the mixed reality it's doing it in, and using it in a way that's like using past artifacts and archives and art that's not seen outside of like the museums like closets and what does it mean to like put them in very accessible like immersive like ways of technology of today for healing purposes Mm. uh, to get that to like a larger public and to do some really cool like literacy work like around it. So I'm making a play. I write poetry like every single day. That's how (laughs) I start any project is through, is through literature. Um, I mean, our, our people, my people, uh, they're uh, oral, they're oral people, you know, Mm -hmm. so like poetry just makes sense for me. Um, so those are kind of like more of the immediate things is, you know, getting through school, but like staying sane by like healing and exploring and playing, seriously playing with art and really figuring out like what play means for me. Hmm. I do love that, um, that expression of this idea of play and, um, play being 
probably the closest thing to like safety and comfort, you know, in a uncomfortable, unsafe place. Like uh, through it all, the kids will still play, mm-hmm. and I'm really fascinated about it. We could be going through World War II, and you'll still have kids playing outside. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's just like, and that's if we could... the most human. Like I feel like that's the most human thing that you can do, is play. Yeah. And I know that there's something important like about that, and I'm just really fascinated. Like that might be the tool for me specifically to get to a closer sense of self. Mm. So. Yeah. Well, is there um, speaking of play and the incredible power of children playing? Is there any words that you would like to share, um, last thoughts, or something along those lines that could? encourage those um, listening to this podcast maybe um, uh, bolster their kind of like ambitions of participating in the imagination of futures or is there anything that you've experienced that you'd like to share with folks that's been pivotal profound or you want to uh, encourage to another generation yeah don't let your knowledge be limited don't think it only comes from out of a, a book um, or out of a classroom, um, we won't learn that way. You know what I mean? You, you got to get outside. You got to breathe. You got to, you have to play. You have to be observant of the things that's happening around you within your specific communities. And the more that you really, really lean into like, what does it mean to be human? Like the imagination by default will happen because of that. But it's only with a lighter sense of self. You know, the world is so heavy. It's super heavy. We only have one life to live. Not really, because if you believe in reincarnation, but if you believe in uh, genetic makeup, like we're coming from somewhere and we're going somewhere else. So like, it's all connected. But like our present sense of self right now is just like, like really enjoy like this lifetime, like do the work to make it better for the generation that comes from after us. But don't forget to have like really lovely, happy, joyful moments and and really lean into the beauty of what the world has to offer, even throughout it all. Hmm. Thank you very much, Evan. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. (laughs) I appreciate it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, yeah, I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Colgate University. (laughs) Yeah. Looking Uh, forward to seeing you in the future. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Y'all will be getting a phone call from me when I'm in New Mexico. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Nick West. Thank you, everybody who helped kind of pull all of this together. Thank you, sound operator. I didn't actually catch your name. Got a thumbs up from behind the glass. Thank you, Ginger. And shout out to everyone in Syracuse, the city of Syracuse, New York, Black Artists Collective, Syracuse University, Community Folk Art Center. Sorry, I have to do this. Yeah. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Hey, Dad. I, yeah, I know my mom's going to listen anyway. So hi, Mom. I interviewed her on here uh, once before, and it was kind of awesome. Um, also, thanks to the land, the Oneida people, and and um, the confederacies of, of tribal groups in this region, the winds, the trees, the rivers, all, all of it. it. Yeah, and thank you to my ancestors who got me here. So. Mm. All right. Get to you one month to get out. Take care. Bye, y'all.
The darkness falls away to morning as a lone masked manhunter, the world's greatest detective, delivers three agents of a foreign power. Appreciate all the trouble you went to. You must understand. The experiments we've been conducting here are against our will. <laughs> the biggest and boldest robbery in the history of New York, and a one-man job of that. So you know who I am. Tell me, how did you figure it out? If you would permit me a moment to light my pipe, it might come clearer to you. 